So this week we're in um, John chapter 6 again, and hopefully we will finish the chapter. It's Jesus, the bread of life. Last week we covered the first 21 verses, and that was feeding the 5,000, and the key phrase there was Jesus asking Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people that they may eat? But he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And then a bit later on, there's Jesus walking on the water after the disciples had struggled rowing for over nine hours in the raging sea. And then we talked about how God puts us in situations that test us for various reasons. This week, it's Jesus, the bread of life. So let's just jump in and um, we'll pray, then we'll, we'll read the rest of the chapter. Father, I thank you for the, the great God you are. Lord, I thank you that you came down from heaven. You are the bread of life. Lord, you are what sustains us. You are what gives us life. And the, the word says that your body was broken for us. And uh, we just thank you for that, Jesus, and help us to appreciate that today as you reveal who you are in this section of Scripture. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 22, John chapter 6. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except the one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do? that we may work the works of God. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, 
and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the true bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, he who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
Also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was him who would betray him, being one of the twelve. So a pretty powerful passage to go through this morning. We'll just jump straight in. So verse 22, On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea, basically they're, they're, they're looking for Jesus. Um, oh, where has he gone? He didn't get on the boat, and they're all kind of trying to figure out where he is. It's the day after feeding the 5,000, and they find him in Capernaum. But not just to be with him, but as we were going to see, it's to get something from him. So they got the wrong motive for looking for Jesus. Verse 25, And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. So the multitude asked Jesus, when he had come, but he doesn't answer them directly. He doesn't answer that question. He goes to the heart of the issue, which is why they had come. He's basically saying to them, you came here not because you understood the meaning of the miracle and not because you want to know me, but because you want another free lunch. It's pretty simple. You get loaves and fishes one day and it tasted nice. You want to come back to the restaurant for the next second day, right? So, you're coming for something you can get rather than coming with an attitude of gratitude for the things God has done for you. Verse 27, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. The things of this world are fading away. The food of this world is fading away. The things that we think are going to bring us satisfaction, they're all fading away. We can't, anything we try and hold on to in this world is going to fade away. It's going to wear out. It's going to be destroyed eventually. I like the idea of a fairy floss. You know, you go to the fairs and you get your fairy floss. You know that stuff? Yeah? You don't want it. It's, for me, it's, it's disgusting, but, you know, a lot of people like it. And so they, you know, you bite into it and it's just, it just disappears. There's nothing to it. It's just all fluff. And so when you bite into it, it's, it's gone. <clears throat> it's got no substance to it. Now, a, a scientific fact here is that our bodies, in fact, all material things, basically, we are basically 99 point, how many nines are there here? 99.9999999% empty space. So we're 0.0000003 percent matter how's that all right why because the nuclei the nucleus are a hundred thousand times smaller than the atom the size of the actual atom and if you put your hand in a fan when it's off there's lots of free space in there right and so when the fan's off you can put your hand through but you turn the fan on suddenly it's taking up all that space so the the electrons kind of run around and they take up all that space but if they stopped, it would all be empty space. That's why we have mass, why we can touch each other and we actually weigh something. So if the nucleus were the size of a peanut, 
then the atom, the resulting atom with its electrons racing around it, would be the size of a football field. It gives you an idea of how much empty space there is in each atom. Each one of us, if we are combined just to collapse just to our matter, would fit into a particle of dust, and the entire human species would fit to the volume of a sugar cube. (laughs) So there you go. There's some interesting scientific facts. So basically, our bodies are empty space, yet we pamper them, we look after them, we seek to please them, and as a result, we're discontented because we can't. It doesn't work. We get what we want and find out, well, I'm still not happy. I'm still discontented. So the problem is that the materialistic person doesn't understand that the reality lies in the spirit. We need to understand that instead of looking to the physical things, the temporal things, if we labor for the true spiritual food, we can be satisfied now and rewarded eternally. So if you have a craving for something earthly, whether it be a temptation or whether it be for needed chocolate biscuit or something like that, just think of the fact that you need to get in touch with reality. Spend time seeking that which is everlasting. A couple of times just recently I thought, I've had a temptation to do something and I thought, you know what, I'm going to read my Bible instead. It doesn't mean, you know, what the thing I was doing might be wrong, it might not have been wrong, doesn't matter, but I replaced my craving for something with the Word of God, something that's going to give me of eternal value. Or we could um, spend time in prayer. Uh, it could be eating, it could be whatever it is. It could be uh, spending money. You know what, I don't actually need that thing. I'm just going to spend some time with the Lord, reading His Word, praying. Or spend some time with a friend and, and talk about the Lord. Ultimately, what we're really craving is the everlasting food found only in the pursuit and enjoyment of God. Now, verse 27, Because God the Father has set his seal on him. So basically, when the bakers would bake their bread in those days, they would actually, I'm not sure how it worked, but they would have a seal on their bread, maybe like an indent on top of the bread, so you knew who the owner or the maker of that bread was. And in the same way, Jesus had the Father's seal on him. So the Father had guaranteed him. So if you went to the baker, you can say what's in this bread, and the baker could tell you what's in that bread. Jesus is saying, I bear the imprint of God the Father. Now we come to the second question that the multitude is asking. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. So the typical world thing is what must we do to work the works of God? Well, Jesus said the work singular is that you believe on me. So these people back then, like many people today, think that if you do enough good works, you could please God. If you do enough works, you can please God and you, you can earn your salvation. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says it's not about what you do, it's about who you trust. That's basically what it is. Think about it this way. How would you feel if you had a child that obeyed you perfectly but did not trust you or love you? So you had someone, you have your children, but they don't love you, but they obey you, do everything that you ask them to do, but they don't love you. Would you would you be happy with that situation? There's no feelings towards you? Okay. Well, works is like that. 
works is like, I'm doing everything, but not because I love you. I'm doing this to earn something. Whereas if we believe and trust in the finished work of the cross, we're actually grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus and we're returning his love. Now, another thing that people say, oh, Jesus says all you need to do is believe. Does that mean we don't have to work? Does that mean there shouldn't be any evidence of our faith? Well, if you go to James, chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, it's a fantastic passage that shows us how faith and works work together. I'll read it. Verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect or complete? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works, and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as a body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So we don't want to get confused here, but the the bottom line is, if I say that I believe the chair will support my weight, but I refuse to sit on it, what I'm telling you is that I don't really believe that chair will support my weight. But if I sit on it, then I'm putting my faith into practice. I'm actually exercising my faith. And that's the key. We need to exercise our faith. Knowing something won't cut it. We need to do something with it. If we have faith in Jesus, then we will follow Jesus. And people will see the difference in our lives. Our works will not save us. Our works are an evidence of our salvation, of our initial belief. Just like Abraham, he believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And later on, what was the evidence of that? Well, he was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. 
there was evidence of his faith, practical evidence. God is not unconcerned about what we do for him. Faith is not a substitute for works. Faith is the reason why we do the works. We work out of a sense of gratitude, not because we're trying to earn something. Now the third question is found in verse 30. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Now, how long has it been since Jesus fed 5,000 people? The day before. Only one day has gone. And they're saying, what sign can you give us? (laughs) Oh, dear me. Okay. Now, this is a problem with people who are seeking signs. Because one sign, two signs, three signs is never enough. Their faith is always weak and they're always looking for the next experience. If they don't get it, then they lose faith. Then they go on in verse 31. Our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So now they're trying to manipulate Jesus into giving them bread. They're even quoting scripture, just like Satan did. They said, the father gave them bread to eat. Come on, Jesus, we're hungry. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. It was actually the Father. It was from God. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. So the bread that they received back then was a type of the bread to come. And the Jesus is the true bread from heaven. So the true bread doesn't just sustain life for 40 years in the wilderness. The true bread actually sustains life for eternity. It gives you everlasting life. And then verse 34, Then they said to him, Lord, give us his bread always. So this reminds me of chapter 4. The woman at the well who asked for living water so she would no longer have to draw from the well. These guys are saying, Oh, give us this bread so we don't have to bake bread anymore. They just don't get it that Jesus is speaking in spiritual terms, not physical. He's talking about the eternal, not temporal. And like the woman at the well, he's trying to lift their minds above earthly things to think about heavenly realities. He wants them to understand that he is needed for spiritual sustenance, just as bread is necessary for physical survival. Uh, Verse 35, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. It's very much like the um, chapter 4, the woman at the well. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. This is where it starts getting different. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So what does it mean for us? Well, Jesus explains it to us. The key phrases here are, He who comes to me shall never hunger. So what does that mean? Jesus satisfies our spiritual hunger. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I'll by no means cast out. 
So Jesus receives all who come to him. The next phrase was, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus is not interested in his own agenda, but his Father's. He's not here to save himself, to help himself. He's here to help us. He's a servant to help us. All he has given me, I should lose nothing. So this is a promise that he will keep those who come to him safe. It says later on in John that we're in the Father's hands and we're in his hands. And I think of the picture of the hands over each other being held secure. And the next phrase, everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. So the result or destiny of those who believe in him is eternal life. So I'd like to focus on Jesus, the I am, because this is, I think, our first I am statement in John. A little story says, As we tucked three-year-old Benjamin in bed every night, his request was always the same, saying, Allelu, allelu, we have come into his presence, allelu. This is great, we thought. We're raising a spiritual giant. After a few weeks, however, Benny said, When do we get his presence? And suddenly it dawned on us that while we were singing, we have come into his presence, Ben was singing, we have come into his presence. (laughs) As in birthday and Christmas presents. And that's the difference between a person who's seeking the Lord for who he is and these people who were seeking the Lord for what he could give. They were thinking in terms of temporary, touchable things when Jesus was speaking to them of the spiritual and eternal Give us bread, as Moses did. They demanded of Jesus. Now, I just want to compare the manna in the wilderness to Jesus. Okay, The manna in the wilderness was small, round, white. It tasted like honey and came from heaven. So first it's small. Its size speaks of humility. And then Jesus was very humble. He left his throne of glory to live among us, Philippians 2.7. It's color. It's white. It speaks of purity. So to our Lord has no sin, no spot whatsoever, First Peter one nineteen. Its shape, being round, speaks of eternity. We have in our culture wedding rings and it speaks of eternity. It's something that should never be broken. So too, Jesus had never neither beginning nor end, Revelation one eight. Its taste like honey, sweet, speaks of ecstasy, of, of joy. And so too, Jesus satisfies our deepest longing, Psalm thirty four verse eight. Its origin, being from heaven, speaks of deity. So too, Jesus is one with the Father, John 10.30. So the Jews failed to realize the type of the manna. They, they, they failed to see that the manna was actually a picture of Jesus. And Jesus is explaining to them that he is the bread. The manna is a type of him. Now, where does this I am come from? Well, you go back to Exodus 3.14. Moses says, who are you? What should I call you? Who should I say sent me? And God says, my name is I am, in Exodus 3.14. And I can imagine Moses scratching his head and saying, you are what? And God just says, I am. I'm the ever-present one, Yahweh, Jehovah. Yeah, okay, but what are you? Well, God has not completely revealed who he is until Jesus came on the scene. I've got a verse here for you. It's John chapter 17, verse 6, from the Amplified Version. It says, I have manifested or revealed your name. I have revealed your very self, your real self, your character, 
to the people whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed and kept your word. So in times past, God has revealed himself in little ways. Yeah, you've got the names of God in the Old Testament. You know, Yahweh Shalom, and he's our peace, for example. But here in Jesus, it says, I have revealed your name. So I am, and you can put all the things after that that Jesus is. So at the end of his ministry, Jesus could say, as we just read in John seventeen six, I have manifested or revealed your name, your character, to the men which you have given me. He filled in the blank completely and perfectly. Are we hungry today? Is there something gnawing in your soul? Are you dissatisfied? Are you empty? Well, Jesus would say to us, I am the bread. If you want to be filled, if you're feeling empty, he's the bread of life. He can fill you. Are you in the dark today? Do you feel like you don't know which way to turn? Well, Jesus would say to you, I am the light of the world. Are you feeling vulnerable, unsafe, or fearful? Well, Jesus would say to you, I am the door. I will protect you and keep out anything that would harm you. Do you feel cut off and isolated? Well, Jesus would say to you, I am the I am the vine. Abide in me. Cling to me. Find your security in me. So whatever need we have, Jesus will meet that need. He is everything we need right now. So the problem I think that a lot of us do is, and I do this too, is that we look for something from Jesus instead of simply clinging to him moment by moment. Now, I just want to use one of my girls as an example. Imagine Kezi is four years old, something like that. And she says, Dad, I feel sick. I want to go home. And I say, Kezi, that's good. I can tell you how to do that. So what you need to do is go out the door and go through the gate, cross over the road, make sure you stay safe, go down the footpath, turn right onto Pink Lake Road, and go down to Harbour Road, turn left, walk around Harbour Road to get the roundabout, and walk 20 kilometers up the highway, and you'll get there. Is that what do I do? Is that what Jesus does with us? We go to him and say, God, oh, I've got a problem. And Jesus says, yep, uh, this is what you need to do. do, 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 do. No, it's not what happens. What would I do? I'd pick her up and say, oh, Cassie, what's wrong? And I would take her home. That's like us with Jesus. He picks us up and we go with him. He doesn't just tell us what we need to do and we go and do it. Do it. He, we do things together. He doesn't tell us the way. He is the way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We go with him. Think of the soldiers in the garden. Whom do you seek? He asked the soldiers who had come to arrest him. Jesus of Nazareth. They answered, Ego am I, or emi. E-G-O-E-I-M-I. That's how it's spelled. Said Jesus, and it means I am. And what happened? John chapter 18, verses 4 to 6. They all fell backwards. They weren't knocked down by anything Jesus did, but by the sheer power of who he is. There's a quote from John Corson. Uh, It says, So too, once you understand this, once you see it's not something Jesus gives to you, but who he is for you, you'll be bowled over. You'll say, Lord, I've been asking for this continually and praying or looking for that fervently, but in reality it's all wrapped up in you personally. And if I rest in your arms, I'll end up at the right spot. If I stay close to you, I'll be protected. 
If I cling to you, I'll feel whole. If I allow you into my life, I feel satisfied at last. That's right, Jesus answers. I am the way. I am the door. I am the vine. I am the bread. Now, what do we do with this manna, the bread of life? There's four things that we can do. Just like with the children of Israel, there's four things they could have done too. One, they could have picked it up. They could eat it morning by morning and receive strength for the day's journey. Just as for us, we can spend time with Jesus each morning. We can get the word of God and we can pick it up and we can eat. We can spend time with Jesus, the bread of life. And he gives us strength for the challenges we face each day. The second thing that the people could do is they could have trampled on it. So those who refuse to partake of the Lord, these are the unbelievers, are saying, I don't want the Lord, I don't need the Lord, I can go without him. And they step on him, they trample him. Desiring that none should perish, God laid down his life for us, Second Peter 3, nine. If, however, we reject him, he'll allow us to go to hell, not because he wants us to, but because he's given us free will. But we'll have to trample on him to get there. The third thing is they could have ignored it. So as Christians, we can ignore the word of God. We can say, I'm too busy this morning to get up. But what happened to the manna in the wilderness if he didn't pick it up in the morning? It disappeared, it melted, evaporated, whatever. However it happened, it just disappeared. So it was available in the morning, but it wasn't available later on. Many times people might say, I just don't feel the Lord or sense his strength. And usually, if you ask them, did you take time this morning to feed on him and to look to him, or were you simply too busy? Well, oftentimes it's because I have neglected the Lord in the cool of the morning that he can't be found in the heat of the day. It's a pretty good phrase there, right? Oftentimes it's because I have neglected the Lord in the cool of the morning that he can't be found in the heat of the day. He's still there. He doesn't leave us or forsake us, but we don't perceive or recognize his presence. Then the last thing that they could have done with this manna is they could have stored some. Oh, I don't want to go out every day and pick up this manna. You know, every day is a bit tiresome. Why do the same thing every day? Let's just go out on Monday and pick up five days' worth. Well, what happened if they did that? Do you remember? He went off. He read worms and stunk. Okay? And... Sometimes we get to a point in our lives where we say, you know, I think I've read enough of the Bible. I don't need it anymore. I think I know enough. I think I'm strong enough in my relationship with the Lord. I think I'll just have a break. And people stop going to church. They stop going to Bible study. They stop, you know, whatever it might be, they stop going to with, with this attitude of, I don't need to spend time praying with people. I don't need, I, I'm already, you know, I've done that for years. I don't need to do it anymore. But that's dangerous. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6.11 in the Lord's Prayer? He says, give us this day our daily bread. So it's a day-by-day thing. We can't store it up. It's a daily provision. Jesus is everything we need. The question is, are you going to slow down, stoop down, and pick up the bread of life? Some might say, I have sermons to listen to on the way to work. Too busy in the morning, I listen to sermons on the way to work. Well, that's fine, but the Lord isn't in the fast food business. (laughs) 
He prepares for us a table, Psalm 23, verse 5. Imagine if you only talk to your wife while you're on the run. Sometimes this happens, doesn't it? (laughs) All right. But if that's the only way you talk to your wife is when you're doing something else, you know, driving or, or, or whatever, working, then how would you... How would your wife feel if you weren't giving her 100% of your concentration? Well, how do you think God feels when by our actions we tell him that he's not worthy of quality time each morning? Our relationship with him is not important enough for us to set aside time for him. John 21.12 says that he invites us to come and dine with him. And in John 6.10, he feeds us as we sit in his presence. So each day... We just need to remember that Jesus is the bread, the manna sent from heaven. And if we feed on him, we will be satisfied and content, both now and forevermore. All right, verse 41. Then the Jews complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. So this is very similar to what happened in the wilderness. What happened there in Exodus 17.3? They murmured or complained. And now the murmuring complaining once more in the response to Jesus' statement that he said, I am the bread sent from heaven. And they said in verse 42, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Now, the crowd was wrong. Jesus wasn't Joseph's son. He's God's son. He's a virgin birth. And often the crowd is wrong today as well. And that results in misunderstandings of who God is. And a wrong way of approaching God which is very sad and very dangerous. And all these new doctrines that sweep through the church have that effect. Verse 42 again, How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to him, Do not murmur among yourselves. So, (laughs) murmur not, or complain not, said Jesus. Now, you know that saying that the squeaky wheel gets the grease? You know, if you make enough noise, you get your attention and you get what you want. Well, In God's kingdom, sometimes instead of getting the grease, the squeaky wheel gets replaced. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 10.10, it says, Do not complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. God doesn't, because we complain about things, just say, Oh, I'm sick of the complaining, I'll just give it to him. No. He says, You want to complain? There's a lack of faith. Lack of faith will cause you a destruction. You miss out. Uh, Verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. It's very interesting, isn't it? Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. When the crowd said, we know him, he's the son of Joseph, Jesus didn't correct them. He he doesn't try and defend himself. Because why? I believe it's because Jesus knows that the ones that the Father are drawing are the ones that will come to him. He doesn't have to worry about the ones who have chosen not to come, the ones who have resisted God drawing them. The Jews thought that they were all chosen by God because they were born as Jews, the physical birth. We've been through that in John chapter 3. 
But Jesus is making it clear that God must draw them before they can come to God. Everyone who responds to the Father will respond to the Son. Quote from David Guzik, he says, We like to feel as though we are in charge and that we give ourselves to God. In truth, he calls and we come. This understanding of God's initiative in salvation should make us more confident in evangelism, knowing that God is drawing people and we can expect to see those whom the Father draws come to him. So when we're evangelizing, there's going to be some that the Father is drawing and some that the Father is not drawing. And so if someone doesn't come, it's easy. Well, the Father's not drawing that person. Don't stress. Verse 49, Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Did you know that humans can live on bread more than any other substance? More than rice, more than any other food? If you just had one food to eat, bread is the one that you can live on the longest. And it's cross-cultural. In various forms, it's eaten across the world. Now, I want to talk about the way bread is made. So first off, a seed of grain is planted in the ground, and then after weeks or a couple of months, it grows up, it springs up, germinates, and grows into maturity, and then it's cut down, ground up, and placed in the fire. And after it's been thoroughly baked, it's enjoyed by us, enjoyed by humanity. Well, think about Jesus. A seed was planted in Mary's womb, miraculously. God incarnate came forth and grew to maturity. He was cut down as he was pinned to the cross, ground up as he was cursed and spat upon, and placed in the fire of God's wrath as he absorbed all of our sin. And because he had been planted, cut down, ground up, and burned in the very fire of God's wrath, you and I have the opportunity to eat of him daily, never tiring of him, always receiving strength and sustenance for the challenges of any given day. So that's what it means when Jesus is the bread of life, and it's a really awesome analogy. Uh, Verse 52, The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. So, as the Jews wondered what he meant, Jesus began to explain the absolute necessity of their taking this teaching and applying it to themselves personally. In other words, they would have to eat his body or they would not live. So before we look at what Jesus meant by eating his flesh and blood, we need to understand that Jesus spoke in a figure of speech. It's a, it's a metaphor. It's not literal. Okay? This metaphor of eating and drinking was common in Jesus' day and pointed to a taking within one's innermost being. We sometimes use it even today. You've heard they eat, drink and live basketball. You've heard that? Or they eat, drink and live work. Or they eat, drink and live computer games. It means 
they're completely immersed or completely preoccupied with that pursuit or interest. It's all they think about, it's all they're interested in, it's all they remember, and nothing else is important to them. So that's the understanding of that metaphor. Unfortunately, a misunderstanding of this has caused people to take this virtually literally and apply this to communion. And there's two ways, there's two errors here. Oh, there might be more, but I've got two. Firstly, the Eastern Orthodox practices the custom of infant communion. They believe infants will not be saved unless they partake in communion. And then the Catholic Church has a doctrine of transubstantiation, which teaches that in the Eucharist offering, bread and wine are literally changed into the body and blood of Christ. In effect, it represents a continual sacrifice, which contradicts what the Bible says about the finished work of Jesus on the cross, which is once and for all, or once for all. A couple of verses from Hebrews, Hebrews 7.27, Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first, and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all, when he offered himself as the sacrifice for the people's sins. And the next verse, Hebrews 9.12, With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Think of what Jesus says when he died on the cross. It is finished. It means the price is paid. The work is complete. The sacrifice for all sin, for all people, has been offered or made. It is complete. I like um, Luke 22, verses 19 to 20. It says, And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So what's the key word there of I've got in bold? It says, In remembrance of me. Think about me. Now, what's important to me or to us? What do you think about? What? What do you choose to remember? Now, I don't think much about football, and I don't remember anything about football because I don't care about football. So I'm just not interested in it, so I don't remember anything about it. Now, I remember some things about my friends and my friends' kids because I have some interest in in them, okay? I remember some people's stories and, and their names and stuff, but I have a much better memory of my own kids because I have a greater interest in them. So the more interest and dedication I have to something, the more I will remember them, the more I will be interested in them. So with the Lord, do I remember what he's done for me in the past? Do I remember his promises? Do I remember how much he loves me? Do I take the time to remember how much it blesses him when I return his love? Do I remember how much it grieves and pains the Father when I reject him by choosing to live independently of him and do things my own way? Am I focused on him, looking to him, copying him, joining him in his work? Do I remember the blessings of abiding in Christ? So we know that Jesus... um, was talking about when he talked about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, it was a metaphor. But what does it mean for us practically now? So if it's not literal, what does it actually mean for us? We've been through the error and we've been through what remembering means. So biblically, 
we can understand what it means to eat of Jesus when we understand that what happened to Adam and Eve when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was after they ate the forbidden fruit that they fell because they were no longer completely and constantly dependent on the Father. So before the fall, you imagine Adam and Eve, if they had a question, if they wanted to know something, if they needed something, they'd always go to the Father. But after they ate the forbidden fruit, they became independent. They no longer talked to their Abba, their Papa, their Father. They said instead, we know what's good, we know what's evil, we can handle this ourselves. So Jesus says, you've eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it led to your fall. Now eat of me, the tree of life. Internalize me. Make me a part of your life. Allow me to take control of your life. So when Jesus says, eat of me, that's what he's basically saying. Allow me to be the center of your life. Allow me to be the priority of your life, to take control of your life. And practically, we can understand what it means to eat of Jesus because we can get by without exercise, excitement, or education, but we can't get by without eating. Okay, We may not do a lot of things we think we should do, but there is one thing that we always make sure that we do do, and that is we eat, right? And this analogy that the Lord is giving us is very practical, and it's similar. It says, I want to be the priority of your life. Realize the necessity to eat of me daily and consistently and make it your morning routine if you haven't already. From the Evidence Bible, quoting that verse from Job, I've made your word more important than my necessary food. He says, no read, no feed, no Bible, no breakfast, and put your Bible before your belly. <laughs> so just a couple of things there. I might stop there and I'll finish the rest next week, but I've got communion for today. Father, thank you for your great blessings that you've given us. Once and for all, the price has been paid for our sins and we can come freely to the throne of grace and receive mercy and forgiveness for our sins. And we just pray that you will help us to remember you, to be totally consumed by you, to be pursuing you with all of ourselves, all of our being. Lord, that we won't be interested in anything else but you. And I just pray that you'll help us to to grow in our love for you and that we won't be thinking about anything else but you and that our lives will be focused on you, revolving around you, and you will be the priority of our lives. And we just pray that you'll help us to, to feed in your word daily and to recognize that we can be satisfied only by you, the bread of life. So we just thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.